What's up, everybody? I'm UFC President Dana White. Hey, what's up? It's your boy, Shigo Shot Evans. I am Fyodor. This is Jimmy Manuel. Yo, baby, this is Burt Watson. That means it's time to roll, baby. We rolling! Yeah! All night long. This week's episode of the WOCast. I want to thank you all for giving me a warm welcome last week. A lot of you uh, checked in and actually downloaded episode 90. Now, moving swiftly on, this week my guest is none other than the English professional mixed martial artist and kickboxer currently competing in Bellator's welterweight division. He is 38 wins deep, 28 by knockout and uh, 2 by submission. Eight by decision, and he has 14 losses. I'm talking about none other than Paul Semtex Daily. Thank you for having me on the show, Mike. Always a pleasure, never a burden. Paul, I have to say, it is an absolute pleasure because I haven't heard you on, uh, um, well, hardly any podcast, so it is a pleasure to have you on this week's broadcast. But what I'd like to do is to break down this into Semtex past, Semtex at present, and Semtex future. Now, there was a lot of uh, history, obviously, steeped in uh, Semtex and his rise um, to, you know, where you are at the moment. And I thought it would be good to get a bit of a perspective on what's made the man. So let's just start from the very, very beginning. In terms of um, your rise to combat sport, you've touched on this uh, off camera, I have to say, that you, uh, you know, you started out in the military. Just talk me through, you know, the, the military career. What exactly were you doing in the army? Yeah, well, I was, uh, I was driving tanks. I was in the household cavalry division as a reconnaissance driver. Um, the two things in my childhood I wanted to do, one was be a soldier, one was be a ninja. And, uh, you know, I've pursued both, you know, one's carried on longer than the other. But my, my, my career in the military, you know, it was, it was enjoyable um, through the training part of things. You know, it's just like you see on TV, uh, crawling through mud, firing guns and all that kind of stuff, going over assault courses. Mm. And then uh, you're driving tanks. Then when, when I got to the regiment as such, uh, based in Windsor, it was uh, a little bit more nine to five-ish and I'm not really a nine to five person. So it didn't work out well, but. You know, I enjoyed my time there. I was with D Squadron. And the funny thing is that when uh, Prince Harry joined the Household Cavalry, he was the the uh, squadron commander of D Squadron. Wow. So I, I would have been spending a lot of time with Prince Harry had I still been in the army. But yeah, it worked better for him, probably. Tell me if I'm wrong, but the Semtex of old, you've obviously evolved uh, yeah. into the Semtex of new, 2.0, I'm going to call him. But the Semtex of old, I would say that he was a sort of like independent thinker, not really uh, somebody who kind of like um, responds well to authority. I mean, how difficult yeah. was it like taking orders in the army where that is obviously yeah. the mainstay of, uh, well, army life? Yeah, I didn't do very well. And that, <laughs> <laughs> that led to my dishonorable discharge. Not something I'm proud of, but, you know, the, the reasons behind it are, are pretty interesting, mm. um, but we won't go too much into that. But, you know, I was dishonorably discharged, you know, um, disobeyed a direct order a few times. Uh, and for me, that wasn't a big deal. But in, in the army, it's, <laughs> it's a big deal. You know, someone telling me not to do something and, yeah. you know, me doing it is just was pretty much my life at that stage. But, uh, yeah, didn't go down too well in the army. So... 
you were dishonored to be discharged from the army. Was it a case of, okay, what do I do with my life now? Or you had a sort of like an inkling of what you were going to do? No, I knew exactly what I was doing. I was still fighting amateur at the time. MMA, I was fighting for KSBO. Might have had a fight for Extreme Brawl back then. I'm not 100% sure, mm. which was a showdown that, that way. So I, I I wanted to have a dual dual path as a, as a soldier and a fighter. And, you know, one took over the other. And I just became, came, you know, the, the fighter that I am today. But... I always had a plan of being a fighter. I always knew that it was going to be something that I could do professionally because I was good at it. And I very early on understood the business side of things. You know, guys guys, I, guys that I looked up to at the time, not necessarily from fight, guys like, you know, Sean Combs, P. Diddy, mm. uh, Tito Ortiz from fighting, um, they were already sort of carving the niche with, with him, creating brands and... Uh, being entrepreneurs and I found that very very interesting um and I knew that I could be good at it because I, I like business it, it's funny you touch on the entrepreneurial because obviously there's a drive there is a, a will to succeed but there is obviously um a drive to be the master of your own destiny from the time that I've been um, familiar with you, I've never attached you with a manager apart from one. That was Wad. Why is it that we've not seen a succession of management for um, Paul Semtex Daily? Uh, I don't know. I'd maybe because I don't like giving away 20% of my <laughs> money. Uh, that could be the reason. But, you know, Wad, the manager that I did have mm. for, for a long time, he's, he's a great guy. We did a lot of good things together and we worked together as more of a team. You know, I'd come up with the ideas, he'd handle the negotiations and stuff, and it worked well. Up until a point where we saw different on a few things, and it was a, a relationship that ended amicably, and we we still talk. Um, like I say, I got ideas. I got a lot of ideas, and when I've got an idea and I think it's going to work well, I tend to stick with it, and that's that's just how I am. Speaking of ideas, you know, I've got an idea in my head. I was speaking to Tito Ortiz about a few weeks back and he was recounting the story of the uh, infamous street fight that he and um, Lee, Murray. Uh, Lee Murray had. And it made me think about you, funnily enough. I've never heard you speak about, like, a street fight that you've had. Now, given the, the statute of limitations, yeah. we, you know, we are, we are way into the future now. Yeah. Just give me an interesting Give me an interesting anecdote about a street fight that you've had. <laughs> there's a lot. Um, there's a lot. You Give know. me your best. I don't know, but I'd, I'd just say that the, the the group of people that I used to to, to um, hang around with, spend a lot of time with, however you want to call it, we yeah. sort of built a reputation at 15 years old of being kind of fearless. And uh, at that time, you know, the Dormans didn't have their SA badges and there was a lot of, uh, you know, unsavory characters on the doors. And let's just say we handled business and uh, it got to a point where where uh, we was banned from one particular firm's doors because our, our uh, actions were, were becoming a bit too regular. And we're going a bit too high up the chain, so. Uh, but we'll that we'll say, that's enough on that. But yeah, I've had a lot. Of, you know, I, I love fighting, so I've been involved in street fights and stuff, since since I was I was a kid. Um, and for me, it was fun. You know, I was never really an evil kid, although some of the things that I did, if I think back, were pretty pretty evil. But 
for me, it was just a form of entertainment. I just used to fight for fun. And, uh, you know, if you didn't enjoy the games I was playing then, <laughs> it's unfortunate for you. Wow. Wow. So one of the biggest uh, promotions that you fought for before you were signed to the UFC, seeing as though we're still on the pass now, was Cage Rage. You must, you must have had some fun uh, in Cage Rage. Were there any backstage antics that you want to share? You know, obviously, again, the statutes of limitation yeah. have actually passed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there were a few, but I don't like to... Nah, I'm not one to be dropping names and stuff, but there was a few... Like I say, let's pretty, leave the names pretty, out of it. Pretty much the same way. There's a few unsavory characters on the, on the doors before the the licensing came in. Uh, for those more stringent rules in in MMA, there are a few unsavory characters uh, competing in MMA. A few of them were my good friends, and I still get along with them today. Uh, so there was lots of crazy shit going on backstage, and uh, yeah. <laughs> That's all I'd like to say. But Cage Rage was good times, man. Great promotion. I was a young gun there and fighting some big names in front of 10,000 people. So it was, it was massive for me. And uh, it sort of built built the character that I am today as far as fighting. And it's sort of where, where my brand grew the most because I had such great TV deals, you know, being on Sky and international broadcasting and having names like Anderson Silva, Vito Belfort and all, all, all of those guys competing. So it was good for me. But yeah, backstage was could have been like a scene out of the Essex boys or some shit. But yeah, it was all good. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, so from Cage Rage, you were signed to the UFC. Now, the whole UFC experience, if you don't mind me saying, was kind of like, uh, how can I put it, uh, marred by what actually happened in your last fight there when you, yeah. you faced Josh Koscheck. What I don't think people understand or that there is not a lot of context given to were was the circumstances behind why that happened. I'm not excusing yeah. your actions. Yeah. But I'm just saying, just putting to context exactly what occurred there. Well, for me, as far as the Koscheck fight, it was a very big fight. My time in the UFC was very brief. I did a lot in doing free fights. You know, my name holds its weight uh, because of it. You know, I went in there, I knocked out Martin Campbell, knocked out Dustin Hazlett, and then was in a position to fight for number one contenders, uh, position against Josh Koscheck. Now, the build-up was good. It was fun. He was saying he was going to stand and say when he was going to bang. And it didn't go that way. The fight was... The, the, it was more of a matter of frustration. And Koscheck is such a... He's like an annoying brother. And, you know, there was a little bit of talk going in there. Nothing too bad. He wasn't... He didn't say bad things. He was just, like, talking about how he, I was supposed to knock him out and telling me to get up and... Uh, the, those kind of things and it was for it, be, it was a frustrating fight and because he was saying those things and I didn't get to land a shot I thought I'd I didn't even land a good shot after the bell you know I went <laughs> I went to land a shot and you know the breeze passed him but that, that's all it was it was a matter of not being able to do what I wanted to do and the fact that he was going on in my ear about I was supposed to knock him out and he wasn't really doing much it was just frustration and you know the fact I was young at the time and you know, a few of those, few, my attitude wasn't right um, as far as discipline and realising opportunity and stuff like that. But, you know, shit, shit happens. There was a lot of forum chatter after that actual incident. And one of the things which seemed to be doing the rounds was what Dana said to you in Cage. Now, you know, in your own words, what actually went down between you and Dana? You know, cast your mind back. What exactly happened there? 
I can't remember exactly. It was sort of like something like he said to like, "Are you crazy? <laughs> uh, um, you know, do you want to fight here or something like that?" And I, in the heat of the moment, it's like, "Give me some time to cool down or whatever." But he asked something like, "I just sort of shrugged my shoulders and just kind of walked away from him." Um, so like you didn't said, actually say anything. I to didn't him. say anything. I'm like I say, for me, it, in the state of mind I was then. It, he got off lightly. It could have ended a lot worse, you know, because the attitude that I had was, I was the same attitude that I had in, in the army. I wasn't one for authority and, to, and nobody was anything to me. In all honesty, I couldn't give a, I give a fuck who, who you was. If you was uh, opposing me, then things normally turn, turned out bad for you. Um, but, you know, I kind of just shrugged my shoulders. I walked off and, and that was that. I didn't think too much of it. And, you know, even obviously now it's a bigger deal to me than it was to everybody else. But even now it was just one of those things that happens and something that you learn from and you move on from. So it's not really, not really a big thing. Mm. Speaking of move on, you then uh, transitioned into Bellator. Now that deal obviously uh, was negotiated, obviously you being a, a key factor in that negotiation. But what, was it that actually was the deciding factor for you to go to actually, you know, fight for Bellator? Bellator. Mm. Uh, I think Scott Coker, in all honesty, uh, if I look at it in depth, you know, Scott's a good guy. I know he puts on good fights. I love what he does with the production. You know, King Mo was my boy and, you know, he sent me an email um, talking about where Bellator was going and the, the, the kind of connections that we could build there as far as relationship amongst the Bellator staff. And... Uh, I wanted to fight. They was offering me a fight soon, and they offered me a, a good offer. And I was it was the best offer I had on the table at the time. You know, I had offers from WSFO, One uh, FC, M One, uh, KSW, um, as well as my contract that I still had with Bama, and uh, I had a, a contract for K One still at the time as well. So everyone sort of seemed to want to work together to get me into Bellator, and K One was cool, Bama was cool. And it, like I say, it was the best offer that we had. So I had to, I had to go there, and it's worked out for me. I, I kind of knew that I wasn't, I wasn't going to be on the no bum undercards or nothing. I knew I was going to be fighting the the top guys that I had to offer. Um, even though it sort of worked out that I had to build up towards that. Um, given that my first fight was Lima, and then he got injured, and I had to fight a few guys to get back to to where the, the whole thing should have started. But it worked out well. Um, and things are going well. You actually entered Bellator in a different regime, the Bjorn Red Rebney, uh, yeah, the Bjorn Rebney regime. Now, a lot of people I've spoken to behind the scenes have said it was a totally different regime to what exists at the moment. It was a horrible regime to be under. How realistic or how true is that? D just cite me some of the differences. It's very, very extremely true. It's just it wasn't organised like every M like most MMA promotions even the the smaller ones that I fought for had better organization everything just seemed to be just all over the place a little bit like there was no consistency not only with the shows but also with how the shows were ran um well I was even there for one show so I was there for one show and one promotional tour and um yeah it was just it was just different but how about Rebney as a person? I mean, it. A lot you know of what? As a person, you know, he 
he came up to me when I first got there. He said hello or whatever, and that was all good. As a person, he was quite a decent guy, but as far as running an MMA organisation, I'm just not sure. He sort of had a clear path for the tournament format, which was great, and then he sort of got lost. He got lost in there somewhere, and that, that's it. I'm moving forward now with um, Coco at the helm. Just, just I mean, again, in terms of contrast, just talk to me about Coco himself as a promoter. Well, Scott is a guy who built a, a multi-million pound organisation with Strike Force. He's also worked in kickboxing with the Ice Game and with K1. So, and he's a martial artist himself. So, you know, he knows the sport inside and out. You know, Bjorn was more of a boxing guy. Um, whereas Scott, he he knows he knows how things go over in the in the the, the the market as such with MMA. You know, getting rid of the tournament format, the production, the posters even, just all the little things behind the scenes, you know, your fight week, your itineraries, and he just knows how to run a show and he knows how to put fights together with, you know, with the matchmakers that it's got, Rich Chow and the guys. Uh, yeah, they put on great fights, um, you know, and they, they, they're the only thing which I'm... I'm I would say at the moment it's just a promotion, but I think that is down to, as far as promoting fights, it is down to budgeting. You know, putting great fights, but as far as getting them out there to the market ahead of time and really building them up, um, you know, that's where we're lacking a little bit. But hopefully if we hit the targets that are probably set out um, with Viacom, we'll, we'll get a little bit more money next season and we'll be able to do more as far as uh, building the fights up with you. Uh, you promo shows like your countdown shows and your, your stuff like that so yeah it should be interesting in the future what i wouldn't mind touching on um i've just obviously sat through one of your regular sessions you put on here at the spirit dojo i wouldn't mind just finding out and exploring just what was the inspiration for the dojo because um it does seem to be very much community-led yeah well spirit dojo we're in the heart of of the community here in saint Anne's in nottingham um you know, it's our current location as such. Um, and for me, it was just a place for me to train, just for me to bring my coaches in, bring sparring partners in and uh, get ready for fights. You know, when when we all went our separate ways from Rough House, I, I decided to do my own thing um, rather than try and, try and keep things going there. And that's when Spirit Dojo was born. Um, we originally was at the YMCA, like at first it was, I was still with Rough House at the time when I was teaching, you know, Spirit Dojo classes, uh, you know, just again, more and more community. It was, what, three pound a session. And I was just teaching just for myself, just to keep myself busy um, in between fights, give me a bit of a focus. And then when we did all, you know, it was definitive. We all went our own ways. As sort of, we're not really verbally, but everyone just started doing their own thing anyway. I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to set my own gym up uh, for my own training and bring the coaches in the stuff. And that's what we did. Brought the classes over from the YMCA to here and we've sort of developed from there. Really. You had an established brand name though with um, Team Roughhouse. Was it not to be a? Or wasn't there a temptation to kind of carry the franchise over and establish uh, Team Roughhouse here? No, no, not at all. You know, this is something completely different. This is all me. Um, we're very unique in the way how we train and how I teach, and it's a, a culmination of all the years of me traveling and going to different training camps and gyms. I've sort of learned and blended. Uh, a way of teaching and styles and techniques all together and 
it's something that you know it's i don't i like to be able to do things on my own i don't want people coming after me and you know trying to take a piece of what i've created which is another reason why i started spirit dirty independently this is from nothing um just just me and just the name and just the idea and and now we're trying to grow the brand in the gym which we have done um and, and i'm happy with it I mean, just sticking with the, the the ethos here at uh, Spirit Dojo, um, Nottingham wasn't untouched by the uh, the riots, which actually occurred a couple of years back. Now, how much of the local community do you think benefits, and actually it keeps them busy, it keeps them occupied, it keeps them out of that sort of environment, and how much of it is 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 a million miles away from that mindset? Uh, well, I think obviously. I- we're here in the community, but we don't have no support from no government schemes or anything or local council or whatever. So as far as, you know, people being aware about us in the community, it's if you walk by, if you live on the street, if you live on the next street, if you, you follow me on Facebook or whatever, it's not, we've got no backing in. And that is a shame, I think. Um, Cause I think we could do more as far as not having the, the, the kind of situations that we did with the riots and stuff and you know this this community is a very there's not a lot of opportunities and not of a lot of things to keep people from from doing you know doing the, the kind of stuff that doing it's a high crime area and stuff especially in St Anne's but we got no backing uh you know and I think that had if we have backing that this thing could go to a whole other level um but again it sort of goes against what I believe I like to do things myself and the fact that the government aren't getting behind me and aren't backing me or the local council makes me want to do my own thing even more and make this even bigger. So in the in the next uh, 12 months, we're going to be looking to move to a more centralised location um, with better facilities that will be more um, appealing to a wider range of people but still keeping that community focused. So, you know, I kind of figure I'm going to do things with support or not, that's kind of my life. <laughs> I do my own shit anyway. No one could stop that. Speaking of backing, there have been some consistency in terms of the people that back you. I'm thinking of Coach Smiley. I'm thinking of Coach Dave. Just talk me through how that whole relationship developed. How did you actually get introduced to Coach Dave, for example? Yeah, the whole team is sort of like, it's, it's sort of been organic, but the two mainstays... Um, from way way back is obviously Rupert Smiley who's, who's the head is at the forefront of everything in terms of tr- of training me in my stand up and and as a mentor um then you got Sonny Delacchia who's my conditioning coach has been around for about 10 years as well uh you know again our relationship goes beyond training you know he, he get gets me fit for fights and i have to have those sessions with him but then like I say we've got the addition of new guys like uh, coach Dave Jameer who came about I had a, a Muay Thai coach over from Thailand a guy called Prachet um, veteran of over 300 fights um, for, for all over Thailand mm. and uh, coach Dave had spent some time in Thailand with coach Prachet and coach Prachet came came to train me and wanted to do some training himself and called Dave, Coach Dave, to hold pads for hold pads for him. And I seen Coach Dave holding pads for this Muay Thai guy who with over 300 fights. And I thought, you know, I could do with someone like that in between training with Rupert. I, 
I could do with someone else. The whole pads give me a different dynamic. And yeah. Yeah, that's how it sort of sort of grow grew from there. And uh he became another striking coach, another pad man and he's uh, he's got a unique energy about him and he's got a very simplistic look on fighting which helps which is is great to me. Like sometimes you can look too much into the fight, but you know, Coach Dave he can break things down to just how it is, you know. You're two men, you're in there and you're gonna fight one person does this, one person does that. And, you know, he's been a great addition, as has Lee Bound, the jiu-jitsu coach that we've got on board now that I've been doing my gi jiu-jitsu with. Um, you know, my ground game's come on leaps and bounds since working with him. And we, we will build and we'll grow organically for the for the duration of my career. Some will stay on and coach at Spirit Dodo. Some will go on to do their own things. But as far as me preparing for fights, everyone that's around will stay around until uh, I decide not to fight anymore and then we'll we'll see what happens. I mean, just done that, that neatly segues on into the future. But just before we get to the future, I'm kind of curious as to one thing. Um, at the moment, you are at the top yeah. of the division. There's yeah. not really much more you can actually do in terms of opponents. Yeah. Whilst we touched on this in the video interview, yeah. it'd be interesting just to you know touch on that just once more, obviously yeah. for our audio listeners. Now, I, I see there's the champion, obviously. Yeah. There's Lima, who you've yeah. just lost to, and then yeah. there's Michael Page. Yeah. Now, rumor, well, a, a rumor actually came my way, yeah. telling me that you were sorry. Michael Page was offered you as an opponent. Yeah. Now, just talk me through that whole situation. Why didn't that happen? Yeah, Michael was offered me as an opponent along with Lima, and you know, it, for me, you know, Michael's a great guy. Spent a lot of time with him. Very good, skilled and talented fighter. But in terms of weight, our names holding weight, I think we're, and in terms of, I don't know, achievement and time put into the sport, I think we're leagues apart. Mike, Mike he, he's, uh, although he, he, you know, he's, he's not a kid, you know, he's 30 years old or whatever. He's, for me, he's still fresh in the sport. You know, he's very... He's been pushed very well by his marketing team and, you know, he's been hyped very well and he's, he is a talented fighter. But I'm 15 years deep in this game and for me, it's like I'm Floyd Mayweather, he's Adrian Broner. He's like, he's a, he's what's coming next. Um, and, you know, Mayweather and Adrian Broner could have fought, but I think that's the same sort of mentality that Floyd had when looking at the fight. It's like, yeah, he's young, he's brash, he's doing great things um, in the cage or in the ring as it is with Broner. But I've kind of been there, I've done that. And the names that I align myself with are not Michael Page. Mine's a, uh, uh, even though we're not in the same weight classes, like the kind of group that I'm grouped with, who I've co-main evented cards with, are the, your Tyron Woodleys, your Dan Hendersons. I've fought on, I've co-main evented to Fedor, to Vitor Belfort. You know, fought on the same card as Anderson Silva. These are the kind of guys that I associate myself with. And I understand Mike wanted to fight me to kind of bring his name up up to that level. Uh, although he is pushed hard promotionally and he does do great views on Facebook and on YouTube and stuff like that um, for his marketing team. But, you know, for me and him, the only way I'm going to fight him is if he's a champion or when I'm the champion. Other than that, it's not a fight that I'm interested in at all okay moving on to the future now um 
in terms of your age, let, let's not, you know, yeah. Uh, well, how can I put it? Let's not, um, um, well, let's not, let's not be mealy mouthed about yeah. this. You're coming up to what now? Thirty three. Yeah, thirty thirty three. I was thirty three this year, so I'm mm. thirty four next year. Mm. In terms of longevity, though, you know, this is an unforgiving sport. Now, yeah. thirty three is considered quite old in the game. Yeah. Uh, how many years do you think you've got in this sport? Uh, I've got a few left, you know. I'm starting to, people say, oh, when you get old, you start to notice injuries and stuff. Maybe that's psychologically, but yeah, you start to feel a few of the injuries more that maybe you just carry on with uh, as, a, as a young fighter. Um, but, you know, I've been very rarely been in hard fights. Um, the fights that I win, I win quickly. I'm not in many wars. Um, uh, I can count two real, real wars that I've had. Uh, as far as fights concerned, you know, I'm I'm fit, and the, the the majority of my losses have come by decision. I'm not, a, I'm not a, a battle weary fighter. You know, I'm pretty sharp um, defensively, and and when I finish fights, it, it happens quickly. So I've got, I've spent a lot of time in the sport, but I'm not not got a lot of miles on the on the clock. Um, so, you know, if I wanted to carry on to forty and all this kind of crap. I probably could, but you know when I see the guys and it comes up on the screen when you do the tail of the tape and I see that they're 40, I'm like, well, it just <laughs> looks bad. Like, what are you doing fighting at 40? It just doesn't look right. So I don't see myself fighting much past 35. Um, but again, that depends on offers. I'm a fighter. I'm not going to start saying I'm retired, this and that. I'm just going to, you know, stop fighting for a little while and see what offers roll in. You know, I've got seven fights left with Bellator. I think those will be up within the 18 months and we'll we'll see what happens after that. So 18 months down the line, I have to say, I mean, this is the greatest of respect. I respect where you are at the moment. You're at Bellator. But a lot of people look at the UFC as being the epitome. Now, 18 months down the line, it's kind of like uh, apparent, given the new ownership, that Dana possibly won't have as much say as he has had previously. Would you entertain the offer of actually coming back or going to the UFC to fight? Yeah, well, why not? I'll definitely entertain the offer. There's, 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 there's some great fights and rematches there for me if they're still around in 18 months. And I think for me, like I say, well, on the Michael Page question, it depends, you know, what fights make sense to me, what fights uh, are relevant and what fights for me, um, will form part of a legacy uh, in the sport. You know, for me, rematches with Tyron Woodley, the current UFC champion, uh, Nick Diaz, you know, one of the pay-per-view stars, uh, fights with maybe Johnny Hendricks, you know, uh, Rory McDonald, all these kind of fights are appealing to me. Are they Are they still going to be around in 18 months? You don't know because they're at the same stage in their career as I am. You know, you know they're they're what I would consider my era of fighter. So we'll see. Um, we'll Some, see what happens. Someone who's relatively young in the game, who you've yeah. not mentioned, is Conor McGregor, who's oh, yeah. making a, a nice little run for yeah. uh, welterweight uh, contendership. Yeah. How about a matchup with Conor McGregor? Even McGregor, um, you know, he may not be around in eighteen months because he's making a hell of a lot of money, and he, you know. The drive can drift if the big fights ain't there and you've got a, a big bank balance. But yeah, if he's still around and he's still still doing his thing at 170 pounds, then I would definitely entertain a fight with him. It would be a good fight. 
two stand-up guys, two bangers. We'll see what happens. I, it might sound like a, an obvious question. I mean, just sticking with McGregor before we move on. Um, how do you actually beat McGregor? Is it simply just jiu-jitsu? <laughs> I can knock him out. Me personally, obviously, I'm going to go for the knockout. Mm. As far as beating him as as, as all the other guys out there, um, I think Nate Nate's victory is pretty much the way you've got to do it. Taking him down when he's fresh and trying to submit, it may be difficult, but it may be possible. But I think you've got to be able to, to hang with him on the feet, you know, tag him, get him in, get him hurt, and then, then submit him, get him cut or get him you know, tired or stuff like that. He's a fit, he's an athletic, he's strong as an athletic guy. So submitting him fresh, taking him down fresh is going to be difficult, but doing what Nate did, you know, dragging him into a dogfight, tiring him, hurting him, you know, forcing him to do something uncharacteristic like go for a takedown um, and then taking advantage of it. I think that's the way to be him. I mean, seeing as though we are in the in in, in the present, um, do you see that as being the the game plan that they're going to be employing, or do you think it's just simply they're going to take him to the ground I'd, and I'd, just submit him? I don't think the game plan. I don't really, you know, the Diaz brothers. They're so well rounded that I don't really think they need too much of a game plan. I think they're going to do is exactly what happened in the last fight. They're going to come out. And they're not going to be too hungry for the takedown or the clinch. They're just going to stand and they're going to bang and trade until they get hurt or until they hurt you and see what happens after that. If they get hurt, then they'll be looking for the clinch. If you get hurt, then you'll be looking for the clinch or takedown. And, you know, then it comes down to who's got the better ground game. And the Diaz brothers, you know, they're, they're legit black belts. They're slick. Their bodies are built for jiu-jitsu. Um, you know, they're flexible, long-limbed and very skilled. So it becomes a dangerous game then. Moving on to the future now, um, the final question. It's funny you mentioned legacy earlier. Yeah. A lot of people or a lot of fighters, I think, in, in general that I've spoken to don't seem to be setting up anything in terms of a legacy, um, not just for their family, but obviously for themselves. Now, just looking around, especially sitting here in the gym, it's obvious that you know you, you are future-proofing your um, income but not only that future proofing the income for your family just talk us through some of the things which you've got like you know in place so that this yeah. isn't just uh gonna be just for now you're not living for now you're living for the future as well yeah i've been, been wary of 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 the future um you know uh i've been wary of not having although i i'm trying to, i try to do things not to attach my name to too many things so that they can exist like i didn't call my academy paul daly's gym or semtex daily's gym i haven't called my promotion semtex promotions and stuff like that i try to do things that ex can exist away from me so that when they do get build up and get strong they've done that independently from their attachment to me like I could give it to someone else and it still hold its weight so um, that's the first thing that I've done is build brands in the Spirit Dojo um, gym and Ultimate Gladiators which is a promotion and we also do clothes t-shirts hoodies and stuff like that um, when the time and opportunity is right uh, so I've got those two things the gym and the, the promotion and the brand Ultimate Gladiators I've also got properties um, that I'm a landlord as such that we have managed for us uh, and savings as well as my fighting career you know um, there's other stuff that we're going to get into but we're not we're not there yet but we've got a lot we've got lots of business opportunities um, 
that will come our way you know a lot it's not just me a lot of my friends are very uh good good in business you know um a lot of my friends are bar owners um one was a security company uh you know one has his own accounting firm and stuff like this so there are opportunities for me to do offshoots of stuff like that but but for now i'm i'm happy with my setup with my promotion my gym and the properties is enough to keep me busy for now and we'll, we'll see what happens after that tremendous Paul, Semtex Daily has been an absolute pleasure chewing the fat with you for the last God knows how long now. And, um, you know, thank you so much for sparing us the time. No problem, Mike. I know that, as I mentioned before, this isn't something that you do on the regular. So I do feel highly privileged to have you in audio form as well as video form. Most definitely. Always got time for you, Mike. Thank you, sir. Nice one. Been a pleasure. Yo, old beast. This one is special. We got World TV. You know how we do. This year's our year, Whoa TV's year. Ain't no other TV like Whoa. Can you hear me? I know, I know, I know, I know these facios, they gotta go. They're spitting bars, slidey though. Face to face, they never try me though. Whoa TV, that's where you'll find me, bro. With a cup of the sick man behind me though. Ready to pop at the slightest though. I know my man are excited so. Come then follow my lead, I'll let you know right now Blood, I'll exceed, you think you're gonna pass me? I'll let you know right now you won't succeed Not why I say that we breathe I'll always have the next up one up my sleeve Return with a hot one that you can't read To murk me bigger bars you'll need I just slam but now you wanna leave Cause I'm sick, I make you wanna heave I'm too much, it's like you can't breathe Cause I done shit that you can't believe No begging, I don't wanna hear my bleed You touch my city, it's a done deed No say that I'm gonna feed Clap it up, on this thing indeed I know, I know, I know, I know These facios, they got a go They're spitting bars, slidey though Face to face, they never try me though Whoa TV, that's where you'll find me bro With a cup of the sick man behind me though Ready to pop up the slightest though I know my man are excited so First and foremost, you're not a bad man loud trying to boast All this war thing you don't wanna host Cause I got a worse attempt at the most and I rep for the coast E14 post, come there and you're leaving as a ghost I'm lyrically gross, gonna be big less toast Whoever don't get dose, I don't burn I roast I go deeper than most, no other boys come close Them boys struggle while I easily coast Living for living come better than most If you don't wanna get home don't come close Cause I punch man up till I fool no post I know the reason why you don't come close Cause my man got the thing and I didn't I know, I know, I know, I know These facios they got a go They're spitting bars, slidey though Face to face they never try me though Whoa TV, that's where you'll find me bro With a cup of the sick man behind me though Ready to pop at the slightest though I know my man are excited so I don't care if you're bad and you're done tag You get sent to the cleaners one tag Oh done your saga with one rhyme switch Hit him with the fuckest punchline And fuck all you heard through the grapevine Money, now I'm gonna make mine And you're an arse if you think you're gonna take mine Cause that's when I switch to the eight mine And start letting off blows of the eight kind And your face they get fucked no it ain't mine So mind what you say boy take time Furthermore don't even waste time Cause them DB bars can't face mine They're moving away come chase mine I know it's hard they're moving at pace mine Them bars they can't disgrace mine I know I know I know I know These facios they gotta go They're spitting bars slightly though Face to face they never try me though Whoa TV that's where you'll find me bro With a cup of the sick man behind me though Ready to pop at the slightest though I know my man are excited so